Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast, sponsored this week by CyberArk, the global leader in privileged account security. I'm Paul Roberts, editor-in-chief at the Security Ledger. When ride-hailing service Uber revealed that information on 57 million customers and 600,000 of its drivers had been stolen by hackers, media attention focused on the company's apparent decision to cover up the breach for months. Just as important, however, are the details about how hackers were able to penetrate the system of a nimble and tech-savvy startup firm. Though the details of that incident are still sketchy, attention has focused on developer credentials accidentally published to the software repository GitHub by Uber developers. According to reporting by Bloomberg, those credentials gave the hackers immediate access to the developers' privileged accounts on Uber's network and to the company's sensitive servers hosted on Amazon that included rider and driver data. Uber isn't the only company to fall afoul of what are often described as DevOps secrets, small but critical pieces of privilege information or data that are accidentally exposed as part of agile, continuous development practices. In 2016, for example, a security researcher found the entire source code for Twitter's Vine video service stored in an unprotected Docker container. But what are DevOps secrets? And what risks do they pose to your organization? In this Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast, we're going to speak with Elizabeth Lawler, the founder of Conjure Inc. and now vice president of DevOps security at the firm CyberArk. While companies scramble to secure privileged user accounts from threats like credential stuffing, Elizabeth's contention is that they often overlook the most powerful privileged user on their networks, the application code churned out by agile development teams. To start our conversation, I asked Elizabeth to explain what is meant by saying code is the new privileged user within organizations and to explain how and why organizations need to think about assigning identities to both application code and coded workflows. Elizabeth Lawler. I am VP of DevOps Security at CyberArk. Elizabeth, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. So when you say code is the new privileged user, Talk about what you mean, and when we're talking about code, how does this basic question of identity and authentication manifest itself in the you know application development and DevOps context? Yes, I think that's a great. I think that's a great question. So if you if you think about uh, automation of software development, or if you think about the creation of infrastructure to load software applications on it. Much of that work, particularly in the cloud and uh, I, you know cloud and DevOps space, is done by code. So that means that someone's risk. You know, this is the old idea of of IT scripting, right? But IT scripting has now become much more um, much more mainstream. Uh, instead of you know having just a few system administrators writing their scripts, these are there are many different tools out there now uh, in the open source and and be and as part of cloud platforms that help you write scripts to do privileged functions like you know launching virtual machines or building and deploying software into a production environment. Things that used to be considered sensitive and were often governed by, I mean, so my background, I worked in government and healthcare, which is like, uh, we deployed software uh, into those types of, into those systems. And, you know, we used to have like checklists, like physical checklists, like prove that you did, you know, that you followed a particular quality path for deploying software. And now that's all done through automation. And so visibility into how that happened what was permissioned, 
who has access to these systems, which contain things like root credentials for AWS or which contain sensitive database passwords that are used in build and test jobs in solutions like Jenkins. It's just kind of a wild west, right? Because anyone who's got API access or access to these tools now has access to all of this privileged material. And so what we said is, well, look, there's really two kinds of actors here. There's the people who write the scripts and build the code to build these pipelines and these workflows. And then there's the code itself, which is working as the operator. And so what we wanted to do was provide identity for both to be able to follow essentially the permissioning through the entire sort of software development lifecycle of either building and deploying applications or building and deploying infrastructure into cloud environments. The concept that code was the new privileged user in kind of inherently meant, did you realize that your code doesn't have an identity <laughs> and that no one gave it any permission particularly? It's permitted based on it was originally network security groups or a perimeter security. You could see what it could see in its security group. But I think as we've seen over the, you know, the breaches over the last five years, that that model simply doesn't work and that what we really need are stronger authentication, authorization, and audit rules for all the code and coded workflows that we use to be able to abstract out certain levels of privilege from those workloads. And that's really the, the problem that we're solving now together with CyberArk. You talk a lot about DevOps secrets. What, what do you mean by that? And what types of secrets or uh, credentials are we talking about? And how do you connect the dots between those and risk uh, associated with a particular application? I think for most people, the sort of mental model of a DevOps secret is the 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 you know API key or the database password that was accidentally pushed to GitHub, right? In a in a midnight moment where you're really yeah. trying hurry and get your work done and you're like I just want to go home you know get push and then all of a sudden you're like oh crud I just exposed you know the Amazon root root credential to to the to the development environment or to the uh, QA environment the prod environment and you know that happens I think not because of laziness or because of lack of awareness of the problem. I think it's just a mistake often. Um, but there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of awareness that this is a common mistake. And and so that becomes a, a particular vulnerability. People are looking for the keys there. They're looking for database passwords there and they're exploiting them. Some of the worst cases was, you know, in a Docker Hub entry, there was, you know, people were able to rebuild the Vine website in its entirety. And in some cases, it's just an Amazon root credential that's been potentially misappropriated for personal gain on the part of an attacker to either mine cryptocurrency or to use for a DDoS attack or something. Those, you know, people know to look there. I think similarly for those, we'll call them more sophisticated attackers who are now looking inside of systems for places to exploit, they're often phishing admins or DevOps or, or uh, engineer engineering users uh, looking for credentials on their laptop and then using that to move inside of these into these cloud environments and then laterally amongst them and places like configuration management where many credentials are stored, password, SSH keys, API keys, etc. And places like you know build and test systems like Jenkins, they know that they can get in there and get very powerful system account credentials for cloud platforms and for other connected systems and then then use those to either disrupt the operations of the group that's being attacked or to um, you know essentially misappropriate those resources or exfiltrate data or whatever 
I mean, and these seem to these types of attacks really seem to play a role in some sophisticated hacks. As you're saying, this is becoming an area of intense interest, particularly to sophisticated attackers. Totally. And partly because it's just a very difficult management problem for people who are working in the systems, because the way that secrets management works and practices that and has grown up, I think, along with the DevOps tool chain is that there's, you know, there are many different secret stores, places where you can store API keys, you know, certificates, database passwords, etc. across these different systems. You can use Amazon KMS, you can use Docker Secrets, you could use Ansible Vault. I mean, there's a lot of different places where you can put where you can store things. But that also means that you have to essentially learn a bunch of different vaulting technologies and a bunch of different access control approaches that are all different. And so so what we used to sort of rely on as, as secure places to store stuff and then also a secure location to establish roots of trust, which was you know, sort of like the active directory, you know, domain, <laughs> it's now been broken apart across all of these different systems. And so now we have the problem where you kind of end up with, you know, the least common denominator of security across all of them. And so, you know, really what one of the challenges we went out to the market with is like, you know, storing secrets is one problem, authenticating, authorizing and auditing you know, essentially coded users is another problem, but they're separate concern from the underlying platform technology that you're using to build and deploy applications and have really typically been set up that way in the past. And now we're starting to starting to blend things. And it's not actually scaling from a management perspective while a lot of organizations and, and the manifestation is that of that is breaches. You're listening to a special Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast, sponsored by CyberArk, the global leader in privileged account security. If I'm a part of a, um, a development team, a, an organization that's pursuing a uh, continuous development kind of DevOps approach, how does this look to me if I deploy CyberArk and Conjure? What new capabilities or visibility do I have that I didn't have before? Often the first use case that um, uh, brings folks into looking for something, some kind of common solution is, is really the, you know, the bread and butter of privileged account security, which is vaulting and retrieval of secrets. And when you have uh, when you have complex environments where you're running, you know, orchestration system plus a cloud platform provider plus continuous, uh, you know, uh, delivery tool chain, you have a lot of different things that you're trying to manage the flow of very sensitive credentials into and out of and, and record what happened. And that is often sort of a leading leading edge use case that that brings people to, to Conjure and to CyberArk. And CyberArk has long been known for its vaulting technology, really uh, in the on-prem uh, data, data center space. And, and Conjure represents a, an ability to take that into what we would call a more dynamic and ephemeral infrastructure. So for example, in the data center world where you can install agents or you can have essentially uh, that type of, you know, sort of more traditional architecture um, where you have long live, you have long live services that are looking for, looking to retrieve passwords and that you need to audit. That is, you know, that's really where CyberArk has, is the gold standard. And in this next generation um, systems, you need something a little bit lighter weight that can um, expand and contract the way that people are using um, infrastructure these days, which is, you know, on demand, elastically, you know, elastically scaling and, and, and contracting with load and using high, a multiplicity of technologies, including containers and serverless. And so in those instances, things like agent based um, solutions are not really what the, is not the right architecture for microservices. And so Conjure takes an agent-less approach, but also recognizes that sometimes these, these applications people are developing and deploying now are a combination of 
workloads in Amazon and on-prem Oracle databases and a VPC that connects it all together. And so you really need to have a continuum of approaches to how right. you deliver secrets into these single applications, let alone an entire big corporation's worth of applications. And so there's no, so having an end-to-end view, which is like, here's my Oracle database password. It has, you know, the kind of two key controls on it and it's human user flow and things like that. But also I know I can securely deliver it into a more dynamic and ephemeral workload I'm also running in AWS with with keeping the same reduced threat surface is is really a value-added advantage of our product over using native stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, if if they're not using a technology like Conjure, generally, what are organizations doing? Are they trying to roll their own and manage this um, internally? Yeah, so either uh, you get these islands of management where the configuration manager group manages secrets one way and the software de- development group manages them another way. Companies often use various open source projects. And, and I think that's, a, you know, that's something that, you know, is, is, is a good first step and often rolls their own, we'll call it binding to the infrastructure around that. But, you know, obviously, if you, if you believe in DevOps and you believe in continuous delivery and improvement, that is often where management and, and continuously delivering, you know, net new features, functionality, integrations, you know, it's a buy versus build decision for many organizations. And, and, and we think we have a compelling product in order to be able to take some of that workload off of folks who either may have other jobs to do or are struggling to be able to uh, securely knit secret delivery into their infrastructure. That said, um, in September, you guys announced that you were going to open source the Conjure as an offering. So explain the thinking there and maybe help us understand Conjure open source versus the premium version and kind of what the distinction is. Certainly. We open source Conjure V5 in September, which is our next generation platform. It really is a strong recognition on the part of CyberArk that the method by which development teams or next generation infrastructure teams are evaluating and consuming software infrastructure tools is through open source. And one of the things that we really felt like we could bring to the table was a security perspective that that um, is unique to CyberArk. You know, they have we have uh, almost 20 years of experience in managing privilege. Uh, in the enterprise. And so what we wanted to do was not only deliver some value back to the community by giving them a fully featured core platform open source release, but also to be able to drive a conversation around, you know, machine authentication, authorization, and audit for, for this code, this new coded user. And uh, we're, we are looking forward to, to using this, this tool as a platform for doing that. So many uh, open source Tools have solved very tactical use cases, but what we're trying to do is is create a, a center where we can talk about some of these issues of inter- interconnected trust and, and maybe help to solve some problems more broadly. Where do you see the biggest adoption? I mean, what types of industries, what types of use cases are you seeing for adopting uh, technology like Conjures and bringing, you know, machine identity into the identity management sphere? I think when we first started out, it was a lot more of the move fast, break things, web and SaaS companies, of, right. you know, in the, in, the, in the tech sector in the United States. But, you know, many CIOs have stood up and said, we're adopting DevOps to accelerate the business, 
we're going cloud first uh, or cloud only, although it may be multi-cloud within three to five year time horizon. And this has been a real awakening of the broader enterprise market to this particular problem. And, you know, given that CyberArk served that market over the last many years, this is, has been a good opportunity for us to really mainstream into the into the more traditional enterprise market, Conjure's product as part of the CyberArk suite. You know, we talk about DevOps monolithically, but I mean, as you just said, all different types of companies are at different places with DevOps. So startups, you know, which are, you know, maybe natively continuous development DevOps companies just from the get-go, they're all in. But many, many more companies are probably at some level of transition from more traditional waterfall development methodologies and they've got legacy applications and they, they want to move to DevOps, but it's it's going to take time. So if, if they're listening to this and thinking, oh, that, you know, maybe this technology is something that we could use or leverage, is there like a maturity curve? And in the hierarchy of what you should be doing or where you should be in the in the DevOps maturity curve, you know, what do you need to have in place to really get the full value out of a technology like Conjure's? You know, that's a really interesting question because oftentimes we find, and particularly with com- companies that were born into sort of DevOps methodologies and DevOps tool chains owing to resource constrictions or of being a startup, we're often in the position of remediation, um, you know, going and finding all the passwords that were embedded or being loosely controlled and trying to collect them. But just like with any privileged account security program, like you really want, this is a foundational technology that you need. (laughs) You have to have it first thing. And so, you know, obviously for for companies that have, you know, have traditionally bought, you know, privileged account security, they tend to think a little bit earlier about this. We often talk about security needing its own stack and DevOps, and you want to have your core methods of trust being able to, you know, assign and leverage trust mechanisms in from the beginning because really at any time you could be accidentally exposed. And so running with scissors for two years or something until you finally get your platform certified is still not an awesome place to be. (laughs) And that's often where we find teams are moving really fast and they've got kind of a, a free pass on security for a while until they get things up and running. But actually it's so much harder to remediate later, and it usually happens on the heels of some, something bad happening. Yeah. It's better to start from the beginning and just say, look, security team, go meet those DevOps people. There may be only five of them right now, but have lunch with them, You know, figure out what you can do to help them, and bring your expertise around minimizing threat surfaces, which is really the function we're talking about in privileged account security, to the table early. And then with tools like Conjure and, and whether, you know, Conjure open source um, in particular, you can start to bring them some capabilities around machine identity authorization and audit and secrets retrieval delivery and audit that they'll be able to use right away. It doesn't take you having a large installation in order to be able to get value out of it. But what it does teach you is a good habit, <laughs> which is from the beginning to abstract secrets out of these environments where they really are difficult to manage and control. And what do you find for those companies? Uh, there are so many of them that you know have legacy application, uh, maybe you know a tradition of more kind of waterfall approach to development, and are making that transition to DevOps. How about them? I think I've been to some DevOps conferences where they've talked about doing like continuous delivery on the mainframe. I think it's everywhere, Um, you know, but the ability to be able to use automation and and Conjure is at its heart an automation tool to take some of the more routine and time-consuming activities out of, you know, the daily life of of a security professional, like building a ticket and having to rotate a password. It's really a benefit to the organization because it frees them up for higher order 
activities right. as well. So you can't, you really can get benefit from it and from our integrated approach across the entire spectrum of, of systems. You're right, because there's a lot of on-prem IT, and there's probably always going to be some, because it's kind of like archaeology, right, where you have, like, the mainframe level, and then you have the, like, Oracle level, and you have the API level, and you have the web services level, and that's the microservices level, and, you know, it's just, there's always going to be something that is going to maybe be a heritage item that's going to need to come under these types of controls, but, you know, having humans babysit them when we have so many other things to do with our day is, is not optimal. It's expensive. It's very expensive and, and prone to problems. We're, we're, well, as, much, as much as we have very thoughtful intentions, sometimes our execution can be a little bit off, whereas you can always trust a robot. So this is always the uh, $10,000 question in security, but how do you measure success with this, uh, Elizabeth, if you're a company, uh, again, looking to adopt this technology um, or move in this direction, how do you know that it's helping you? Uh, I guess you can measure it in bad things not happening, but that's a difficult thing to do. Well, that's where I think alignment with DevOps is really powerful construct because there's the sort of first hygiene step, which is get all your plain text passwords out of wherever they are, centralize them and automate delivery. But then really what we have the opportunity to talk about after that is the notion of machine identities and trust. And you have, so you kind of clean, first you clean up the mess in the hazmat way that you mentioned before, and that's a short-term win. But then long-term, what we can say is, what does least privilege look like in these systems? How can we start to improve on least privilege? And having, you know, Condor obviously provides visuals of that with our role graphs. But, you know, you can say, well, how can I increasingly reduce the threat surface of any one application or any, any one potential exposed area? And then, you know, monitoring that over time. One of the things I, I had an opportunity to talk about at a DevSecCon, which was earlier this year, were metrics of, of security. Um, and how, you know, just like DevOps people often um, use, uh, you know, mean time to recovery and things like that as metrics of success. I think similarly with with privilege, we have the opportunity to um, to to provide similar metrics of success to, the, to organizations and use that as a way to not only sort of say, oh, well, we're done with this project, let's move on, but we can actually uh, continuously deliver and continuously improve uh, security from a privileged perspective over time. You know, obviously things like number of systems adhering to the same security policy, which is this consistency issue, which is a kind of in your face as you're developing on net new technology and open source technology, you can often see that like, different tools have different levels of security policy. So if you want to try and get everything to the same level of, of least privilege, like how many of those systems have common least privilege? That's another, that's like a core example of something you can say, okay, well, let's set that out as a project. After we clean up the mess, let's figure out how to make everything have the same level of, of sort of least privilege or least access across our entire organization. You know, DevOps can seem a little bit daunting because it's often net new technologies that maybe you're not familiar with and it kind of uses its own lingo, which is a bit yeah. of a, that can be a little exclusionary. Yeah. Um, you know, the why where the why this is important is known to, you know, you've got to control privilege, you've got to control credentials. Everybody knows why, why? Because they're the keys of the kingdom. The, the what you need to do, collect all the secrets, reduce, you know, reduce the threat surface, limit privilege is, is known too. The how is where people start to get a little nervous about having that conversation. But I think security professionals have a ton to bring to the table here. These and with with tools that can kind of we'll say abstract out some of the domain specific lingo of DevOps 
um, that can help them make a difference in this space because it's something that they have, you know, deeper understanding about how to manage at scale, um, often have, you know, a good long-term perspective on, on what it looks, what it takes to maintain these systems. And, and I think that's really needed by the DevOps community. And that's really what DevSecOps is. And the, and the more you can get involved with the teams, even if you feel like they're speaking in totally <laughs> foreign language, at this, at the, at early as you can, the better. Elizabeth Lawler of CyberArk and Conjure, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. You've been listening to a special spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by CyberArk, the leader in privileged account security. 